Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Pastor Wayne Humphreys. Heavenly Father, it is a pleasure that we have still the freedom to come together and to worship you. And I pray this morning as uh, we spend this time in your house on your day, that our hearts and minds will be refreshed with the presence of your spirit. Lord God, give us a blessing, I pray, that we might go away from this place prepared to face the challenges of the coming week. And Lord, as we open your word this morning, I invite your Holy Spirit to be here amongst us. And Lord, might my words be your words and not my own, is my prayer. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. A number of years ago, my wife and I decided to do a walk up Mount Mitchell. Does everybody know where Mount Mitchell is? Mount Mitchell is the mountain on the right-hand side of Cunningham's Gap as you're heading towards Brisbane, the one with the bit sticking up out the top. It's a lovely, it's a lovely walk, um, probably not for the faint-hearted. It's probably two hours each way from memory. So uh, if you are looking for something to do, I would suggest you do it in the cooler weather. We weren't actually living up in Warwick at the time. We were living down in Brisbane. I said, let's go for a walk up Mount Mitchell because I hadn't been up there since I was a pathfinder. And uh, my dad took us pathfinders up there once and we all slept up the very top, which uh, you're not allowed to do anymore. And so that was quite an experience. But as Bromman and I were walking up the track, it's a well-marked track and it's an easy walk. She put, picked her foot up on one step and nearly put it down. And I said, you probably shouldn't go any further. In fact, take a couple of steps back. And as we looked more closely at the track, we saw that stretched right across the track was a great big carpet snake. But the problem with it was not that it was a carpet snake there, well, I mean, that was bad enough, <laughs> but there were so many leaves and stones and that on the track that the actual motley um, coat or the, the covering of the carpet snake looked so much like the track that we couldn't see it. It was almost a perfect camouflage. And we saw that it was quite a big snake because the head went off into one side of bush and the tail went off in the other side and we didn't know which was which. So we carefully looked until we saw that the head was on one side and so we bush bashed a little bit around the other side to get around the back of the snake. But this uh, concept of camouflage, as we walked up the track, we were almost right on top of this, uh, this snake before we come to the point where we thought, oh, we should go no more here. And you know, it always amazes me how we find that animals and insects in the natural world often use this concept of camouflage to be able to show other potential predators and indeed prey that they are not what they appear to be. And we see it all the time in uh, geckos and frogs and uh, rabbits and spiders and snakes, as I mentioned, turtles and fish and moths, owls, sea dragons, butterflies, octopus and of course the chameleon use this concept of being able to pretend to be something else in order to fool those who are either, one, trying to attack them, or two, they would like to feed on. I particularly think of that fish that dwells in the bottom of the sea that has this little dangly thing hanging out the top of his head with a little light on it. 
and passing fish think it's a worm and as they come to eat the worm they don't realise that they're going to get eaten themselves. Friends, the topic of this sermon this morning is who or what is Babylon? Now this is a carry-on from our previous uh, investigation of the first angel's message because this is a look at the second angel's message. So we're going to do a short series on what the second angel's message looks like. So I'm going to get you to get your Bible out. We're going to open up our Bible, so make sure you've got your Bible handy. But first of all, we'll do a short review of the first angel's message. Do you remember what it said? Fear God, not in terror, but in awe and respect. Give glory to him by reflecting his character and his image to those around about us. The hour of his judgment has come. Sin being judged and righteousness being rewarded. And when we compare the concept of his judgment having been come during the process of the continuing of the preaching, we compare that with Daniel 8, chapter 14. And I've got a number of sermons that I preach on this, so we won't go in it today. So we can recognise that there is a timing for the first angel's message and it begun to sound just before the conclusion of the 2300 days in Daniel chapter 8.14. So this first angel's message began to sound leading up to 18.44. And then it, as 18.44 passed, the second angel's message began to sound, one following the other. The first angel's message also says, Worship him who made the heavens and the earth by being faithful to Jesus and by being obedient to God's law. The interesting thing about this first angel's message is that it is preceded by another angel who calls out with a loud voice. So the whole world, remember he was flying in the midst of heaven, calling out with a loud voice, and he had the everlasting gospel. Now John wrote a number of books in the Bible. He wrote Revelation, he wrote the book of John, the Gospel of John, and he also wrote 1st, 2nd and 3rd John. And I, from memory, I think he doesn't use the word gospel anywhere except in this one passage in Revelation chapter 14. And he not only uses the word gospel, he uses the everlasting gospel. So it doesn't, it's not just a gospel, but it's a gospel that preceded our human history on this earth and will continue after our human history on this earth concludes. And Jesus comes again. So what is the everlasting gospel? It is to fear God. It is to give glory to him because the hour of his judgment has come. And it is to worship him who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and the springs of water. Do you remember the series of sermons that we went through covering all that? Now moving on to the second angel's message. We are going to do a short comparison as to how it compares within the context of the first angel's message. Remember, the first angel's message is the message of the Adventist church to go to the world. It is the message of God's people to go to the world. And therefore, it is a very important message. But the second angel's message also has some relationship to the first angel's message. It is a natural carry-on, and we're going to see how that works. Turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 14, and I want to read verse 8. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 8. We're going to read the second angel's message here. 
And another angel followed. You know, in fact, I think I'm going to do something else. I want to read the first angel's message as well, because then it's going, you're going to see it in the proper context. So the first angel's message starts at Revelation chapter 14 and verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue and people, saying not just with a voice but with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and the springs of water. Do you know something interesting about that? His judgment has come while the preaching continues. The judgment occurs while the preaching continues. And then we come to verse 8, which is the second angel's message, which we, what we will be focusing on today. And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The context of the second angel's message is in direct contradiction to the first angel's message. It is in direct competition. It is in opposition to it. In the first angel's message, direction is given to God's people regarding the everlasting gospel as to how to find God, as to how to establish a relationship with him, as to how to encourage and support others to do the same. This is a worthy, a worthy set of objectives, don't you think? But in the second angel's message, a warning is being sounded to, the, to avoid the counterfeits, the camouflage that is being put in place by this Babylon entity in order to misdirect those intent on following the truths of the first angel's message. It only makes sense, doesn't it? If God is going to enunciate something clearly in Scripture as to how to gain everlasting life, how to know what the everlasting gospel is, how to have a relationship with him, then Satan is obviously going to try and put in a camouflaged counterfeit. Makes sense, doesn't it? That's why the second angel's message is so important. God is saying in the first angel's message, this is the true and everlasting gospel and I want you to accept it and to follow it, that you might have a relationship with me and that you might gain eternal life. But God is exposing Satan in the second angel's message. He's saying here is the counterfeit and you need to be aware of this counterfeit and you need to beware the counterfeit. Let's read the second angel's message again. Revelation 14, chapter 8. And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Friends, today we are going to be asking and answering that most important question, who or what is Babylon? What does the Bible say? Now, Babylon must be symbolic of something. It is written in the context of a vision that John was having 
and all other elements of the three angels' messages, and indeed the entire book of Revelation, mostly, are symbolic. Babylon represents something, and there is little disagreement about this. So what do we do? How can we go about interpreting what Babylon is, or what it might be? Now, I know that if you get onto the internet, particularly on YouTube, and type in the question, what is Babylon, you're going to get every answer under the sun. So how can we possibly know what it is? Friends, we are going to do that which we always do. We are going to return to the Bible and search for an explanation. The only way to accurately understand what the Bible is talking about in any context is to allow the Bible to interpret itself. That is such an important lesson, uh, such an important principle, and I would ask that you never forget that. If it is from Scripture, it can only be true. So let us allow the Bible to explain itself today. Now, we're very fortunate because in Revelation 17 and 18, there is significant detail that has been revealed regarding the identity of what Babylon is. And for the purposes of today's sermon, we are going to be investigating chapter 17. Now, please bear with me. I'm going to read chapter 17 to you. I think there is value in doing this. There's 18 verses, so it's not too long. Revelation chapter 17. Let's see what it says. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and of the filthiness of her fornication. And on her head, on her forehead, a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of all the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. But the angel said to me, why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads and seven mountains on which the woman sits. Uh, the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. 
The ten horns which you saw are ten kings which have received no kingdom yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. These are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war with the lamb, and the lamb will overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful." When he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations and tongues. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Did you get all that? There's a lot in there, isn't there? We need to remember that because of the time frame of the first and second angel's message, pre and post 1844, the description of this Babylon entity is current for us today. In fact, some of the elements affecting Babylon in Revelation chapter 17 about her being burned with fire haven't been fulfilled yet. They're still in the future. Therefore, this Babylon entity, whatever it may be, still exists today. And according to the Bible we are going to be able to identify what this actual beast or what, what uh, Babylon is. Remember the second angel's message, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, and we are looking to see what Babylon is. Now there are ten points out of Revelation chapter 17 that I want to share with you this morning. Number one, we have just read much about an impure woman or a harlot, as we might call her. So who is this harlot? Revelation 17 identifies this harlot as being very similar, in fact identical, to Babylon. And we see that written in verse 18. As we read verse 18, And the woman who you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Now it says that the woman and the city are the same symbol, representing the same thing, but it doesn't mention Babylon. But if we go back to verse 5, it does, because it says in verse 5, and on her forehead was a name that was written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. So we can see Revelation chapter 17 is revealing to us quite clearly that the woman and Babylon are one and the same thing. Babylon is being represented by an impure woman, which is appropriate because in the second angel's message she has, is described as being fallen, not once but twice. Babylon is fallen, is fallen. So in Re Revelation chapter 17, when we see it speaking about this great harlot sitting on the beast, we can equate that to being Babylon. Point two, the great harlot sits on many waters. 
Let's have a look in verse 1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me saying, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. Now remember, this dream is being, or this vision is being interpreted to John by an angel. So it is coming from the throne of God by an angel. Now we know that to sit or this woman that is sitting on many waters, to sit in scripture always represents a rulership, a sovereignty to have authority over. So this, I, this woman, this harlot woman, sits or she has authority over or she rules over many waters. And what does many waters mean? Again, we'll use the Bible to interpret itself. Verse 15, what does it say? Then he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations and tongues. Isn't it wonderful how the Bible interprets itself? Peoples, multitudes, nations and tongues. So this woman, this harlot or Babylon, they're equal to each other, is a, is a ruler it's a sovereign and it rules over many nations, peoples, multitudes and tongues, which means it's a worldwide system. It's a global system of some sort. Point three, the scarlet beast that the woman sits on is a part of that same worldwide system. We see that again in verses 3 and 5. And the woman who you saw is the great city that reigns over the kings of the earth, reigning over the kings of the earth, again suggests a worldwide system. And verse 5 says, And on her forehead was the name Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. The pure woman in the Bible symbolises God's true people, as we see in Jeremiah Chapter 6 and verse 2. Therefore, an impure woman is the opposite, claiming the place of God, claiming a counterfeit religion, claiming to be God but in camouflage. Point 5. The impure woman, this impure woman, has a close relationship with the kings of the earth, with the political powers of the earth, and is willing to compromise scriptural truth for the, for the sake of political expediency. And we see this in verse 2, with whom the kings of the earth with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So not only does she have the wine of the fornication, she is giving it to others as well to make them drunk with the same corrupted wine of her fornication. Friends, let's just take a breather here for a second. Why are we bothering to go through all this? What is the point in all this? You know, I read in a devotional just this morning, for those of you who read Maranatha, that it is important for us to understand the points of what we believe from the scripture. Because one day, and the spirit of prophecy seems to imply, each one of us is going to have to stand up and make an account of why we believe what we believe. 
And if it's not from scripture, and believe me, some of the greatest minds will be arguing with you about it. So you must know your points of scripture. You must understand where we're going and why. And that's why these three angels' messages and deciphering these symbols is so terribly important. So we see this impure woman who is identical to Babylon. So as we read about this pure woman in Revelation chapter 17, we can say this is the process that happened in that Babylon fell. Because the second angel's message says, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. So we see that this impure woman has also um, fornicated herself with the politicians and kings of the world. Point six, the next point, is that the impure woman has great wealth. Let's have a look at verse verse four. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of the abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. She was very wealthy. Point seven. This worldwide false religious entity would be the mother of many other harlots other false religious systems or organisations. You know, I've ne- never met a mother that hasn't had children. I've met plenty of women that haven't had children, but I've never met a mother that hasn't had children. And this political identity, this identity of this harlot is the mother of harlots. She has children. And so she is giving birth or she is creating for herself many children that also follow the abominations that she has created. Now, what is an abomination, you might ask? I see that there are a number of people here writing notes. So I'm going to give you some verses. Because of our time constraints, we can't look them all up. But the Bible, believe it or not, also tells us what an abomination is. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 25, it says, Make no idols, because worshipping an idol before God is an abomination. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 29 to 31, Worship God only, because worshipping idols or worshipping any other type of entity is an abomination, is described in Deuteronomy as abomination before God. Can we see the connections here between the first angel's message and the second angel's message? Because the first angel's message tells us to worship God only. The first angel's message tells us that we should be worshipping God, making no idols. It's a part of the law of God. And yet these abominations that apparently this, uh, this Babylon the Great, this mother of harlots, has a cup full of the abominations of the earth, which are in direct opposition to the word of God. So the second angel's message is describing Babylon as having a whole range of deranging wine, which is called in the Bible, which are the doctrines that she offers to the world that are in direct opposition to scripture. Sexual perversion and promiscuity. Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 16 to 8, also recognised as an abomination. Sin is transgression of the law. So anything that is in opposition to God's law or his pure principles of right living, God sees as an abomination. And those of us who have been attending the Monday night Bible studies will know 
that this is true because we have studied it in detail in the last couple of weeks. So she is full of these abominations, not of heaven, but the abominations of the earth, as spoken in verse 5. Point 8. This harlot will make the inhabitants of the earth drunk with the wine of her fornication. So not only does she um, produce these doctrines, she offers them to others as well. She offers them to her harlots who accept them regularly. But it says in this particular passage, verse 2b, let's read it. Verse 2, verse b. And the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Not the other churches, but the inhabitants of the earth. All multitudes, nations, tongues and people. This false counterfeit religious worldwide system is chasing the people the same as God's true saints are chasing the people, trying to deliver the message of purity and truth. There is going to be a system that is going to be delivering a message that is camouflaged. It looks like Christianity. It smells like Christianity. But when we see in Revelation chapter 17 and chapter 18 and various other places, many other places in Scripture, the counterfeits are unmasked. We are told what they're going to be. And who is going to be offered them is also identified. And that's what we're going through today. So this harlot will make the inhabitants of the earth drunk with the wine of the fornication. Babylon stands in the place of God instead of offering the purity of his word presented by pure wine. The nations will be deranged. Jeremiah chapter 51 and verse 7 with the intoxicating corrupted wine of the camouflaged religious system. The harlot will change the law of God and lead people away from him. The harlot will have a history of warring against the saints of God. Part 9, point 9, verse 6. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. Drunk with the blood. What do you think that means? She's warring against the saints. Warring against those who follow Jesus. And they call them martyrs here. Friends, there's another point that I need to bring to you as well. And that is about blasphemy. There is a passage in the scripture that talks about how the, has she had the name of blasphemy? And I can't find it. There it is, verse 3. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on the scarlet beast, which was full of the names of blasphemy. So here's another identifying point of this harlot of Babylon. How does the Bible... Describe blasphemy. Putting yourself in the place of God. What's the verse reference for that? John chapter 10, verses 30 to 33. And I want to read this to you because this is a very important identifying feature of this 
of this system. John chapter 10, verse 30 says, I and my father are one. And then it says in verse 31, then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. So this was Jesus talking to the Jews. And Jesus answered them and said, many good works I have shown you from my father. For which of those works do you stone me? And they said, the Jews answered him saying, for a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being man, make yourself God. So to impersonate God, to camouflage yourself and make yourself look like God is described in scripture as blasphemy. And this woman in Revelation chapter 17 is claimed as she has many names of blasphemy. And that means also that the the Babylon in the second angel's message also is full of abominations and blasphemy. Last point, point 10. She sits on seven mountains, verse 9. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. The angel interprets the seven symbolic heads that are seven literal mountains, which are the location of the harlot's power. Now, let's do a summary of these identifying features. I want to remind you of a few things that we spoke about. First of all, the, the Babylon in the second angel's message, who are we identifying today in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 8 is the same entity, the same system as the harlot woman in Revelation chapter 17. We've established that. And so let's have a look at a summary of these identifying features that we have looked at in Revelation chapter 17 that can be applied back to the Babylon in Revelation chapter 14. Number one, it is a worldwide system having authority over people, multitudes, nations and tongues. Number two, it presents itself to the world as a religious system, as a Christian system. But as we saw in Revelation 17, it's a Christian system in camouflage because it is actually working in opposition to the principles that we learned about in the first angel's message. Point three, it claims the privilege of occupying the place of God on earth because it is full of names of blasphemy. Point four, it exercises great influence over the kings and the political powers of the earth. This is all coming out of Revelation chapter 17, friends. Point five, it has great temporal wealth. It's a very wealthy system. Point six, exercises influence and control over other religious Christian denominations so that they look to her as a child looks to its mother. Point seven, it is full of abominations, which means it is full of rebellion against God and his law. Point eight, it claims the power to present to the world changes or corruptions in the word of God and in the law and the testimony. Point nine, it claims the right to make changes to the law of God. 
And point 10, it has a history of relentless war and bloodshed against the true saints of God. So with just these 10 points, is there, do you think, a power evident in today's society that fills these 10 points? And there are only 10 of many more that we can go through. Is there a power on earth today? Friends, with all humility and with all love, we must produce or we must pronounce the truths of Scripture. There is such a power in the world today. And I think the vast majority of you will know who it is that I'm talking about. It is the Roman papal system. There is no other power in the world that fits the, just these ten identifying features so clearly and so honestly. The Bible is clear. The characteristics are unmistakable. Even to the location of this power in the seven hills. Rome is known to sit on seven hills, and I'll name them for you. Aventine, Cialium, Capitoline, Esquiline, Palatine, Quirinial, and Verminial. They are the names of the seven hills that Rome sits upon. These hills are connected to the location of the Roman papal power being identified in the Bible as Babylon in Revelation chapter 14 and the harlot woman as revealed in Revelation chapter 17. Now, for some of you listening here today and some of you who are listening online in particular, this might shock you. But the Bible is clear and we as a church aspire to preach the Bible in all its truth and in all its purity, even if the message is unpopular. We must preach the word of God. Friends, now that Babylon has been clearly and unmistakably identified in the second angel's message, there are some important points that need to be made. We must take a step back and we must view this identification in the context of the first angel's message. Firstly, God has made this identification clear Primarily so that the intoxicating wine being offered by Babylon does not interfere with the going forward of the mission of the first angel's message. There must be no interference with the going forward of the first angel's message, which is the foundation of our church. That is why we are here. Secondly, with the pure intent of the first angel's message in mind, we must remind ourselves that we are not here to judge. We are here to do God's will. Keeping in mind, the first angel's message is shouted with a loud voice, but the angel of the second message just says, I don't believe it is something that needs to be trumpeted from the hilltops, but we must be aware we must know what God is revealing to us so deception will not be ours. 
Thirdly, the biblical identification of the papacy as Babylon refers to the system, the religious system of the papacy and not the individuals who are a part of it. And I cannot stress this point more clearly. It is not the individuals who are a part of it. It is the system. God himself recognises that there are sincere Christian people who remain as a part of the papal system. And we see this clearly revealed to us in Revelation chapter 18 and verse 4. Let us turn to Revelation chapter 18 and verse 4. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. So one of the greatest reasons, one of the greater reasons for the second angel's message and the third angel's message we are going to be looking at in the future is that God wants people to know. God wants the apostate Christian system to be unmasked, to be decamouflaged. So those who are worshipping God in truth can see for themselves from the Bible what the word of God says. The first angel's message is the purity of the everlasting gospel. But in the second and third, beware, there is a counterfeit. There is a camouflage and it is well camouflaged and it is difficult to tell. But when we look at the book of Revelation, God in his wisdom (coughs) and in his grace and in his glory has revealed to us the unmasking of this camouflage system. And God recognises that inside this system there are people whose hearts are truly following him with a true heart and a true mind. And God says, come out of her, my people. Now if God calls those who are attending this apostate system, my people, what kind of ground are you putting yourself on? Am I putting myself on if we judge them? I fear for those who may judge God's people. He says, come out of her, my people. And he's not only talking about that system alone, he's talking about those who are in his daughters as well. You know, the first angel's message goes to the entire world, friends. It goes to everybody. God does not want a single person to be lost if he can help it. Now, there's another important point that I need to draw out before we finish up today. Our church, your church, the Seventh-day Adventist Church, are not the only Christian denomination to believe the Bible on this topic. We know that the, the Protestant Christian Reformation has been going forward in the world for over 500 years now. Many past reformers throughout history from the days of Christ were adamant that the Bible reveals this papal system as being equal to Babylon. Steve Wahlberg quotes the book All Roads Lead to Rome, written by a gentleman called Michael de Simoleon, as saying the following, Wycliffe, Tyndale, Luther, Calvin, Cranmer, 
in the 17th century, John Bunyan, the translators of the King James Bible and the men who published the Westminster and Baptist Confessions of Faith, Sir Isaac Newton, John Wesley, John Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards and more. More recently, Charles Spurgeon, Bishop J.C. Riley, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones and eminent scholar Dave Hunt, these men among many, many others all saw the office of the papacy as being the Antichrist, as being equivalent to Babylon. Friends, this is not new to us, it is not unique to us. And I say praise the Lord that he continues to show his truth to those who will to see it. Friends, I do not want to give anyone the impression that we should be avoiding the Catholic Church. That is not the case. Many of God's people are still captured inside. But these people have true hearts. They are seeking God. Not only the Catholic Church, but all other apostate churches. Friends, the Bible speaks for itself. And when you might be asked to defend your faith, when someone might say to you, why is it you go to church on Saturday? Why is it that you do these strange things? We don't know who you are, but going to church on, not going to church on Sunday is the strangest thing we've ever heard. Can you find yourself in a system, that, uh, in a situation, that you could open the Bible and say, here's why, and point it out to them? Even if you have a little set of cards at the back that have got the verses. You only need four or five verses, friends, to show people. If you know from your Bible why you do the things you do, you will establish a relationship with God that is closer than anything that you have ever known. And when you share with friends who ask you the question about these things, the Bible has a power. And I like that verse that talks about a sword cutting to the, to the sinew and the muscle because it, and it, in, it discerns the thoughts and intents of the heart. Let the Bible speak for itself. Friends, this is our message to the world. There is an apostate camouflage that Satan has put in place to draw people away from the pure message of the everlasting gospel. And it is for you that God put that message there, that his deceptions, these deceptions might be unmasked. But not only for you, it is also so you can share those through the power of the Spirit working in your heart with others that they might know the truth as well. Friends, continue to study these things through. They are relevant to today. Remember the first and second and third angel's message and the third angel's message in particular are the last messages that God is going to deliver to a dying world because once we get past the third angel's message, the very next event that occurs in Revelation is the second coming of Jesus in power and glory. We are running out of time, friends. Continue to call on God that he might use you to know his word and to unmask the camouflage to other folks through the power of the word of God that we might have a great harvest for Jesus when he does return in glory. This is my prayer for each one of you.
in Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, as we open your word, we see treasures, inestimable treasures, buried in there. And as we have looked today at a brief overview of the first angel's message and discovered the truths that you wanted us to know that demask the apostate, that take away his camouflage, we reckon that we recognize, Lord, that all of these things are based on a sacrifice that was made by your only son. And Lord, as we spend this time together, I pray that you'll help us to recognize the true intent of these messages. It is to prepare the hearts of a people in this world for the soon return of Jesus. It is oh so close. Lord, I pray that our hearts have been moved, touched by the Holy Spirit, and we will renew our efforts to follow the first angel's message to know you and to be faithful to your word and your truths that we might be allowed to have the Holy Spirit use us for his own glory. Bless us and strengthen us as we go our way now, Lord. Might these things pique our interest. Might we know your word that we will not be afraid to tell anyone why we believe what we believe through the power of what you have told us in your scriptures. Bless us and strengthen us this day is my prayer in Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. This message was made available by Pastor Wayne Humphreys. For more resources like this, visit waynehumphreys.org. Neville Peter will now sing, The Judgment Has Set. The judgment is set, the books have been opened. How shall you stand in that great day when every word, thought, and action God the righteous judge? Has begun with those 
those who are sleeping soon will the living here be tried out of the books of God's remembrance every decision to
I'm Marilyn, the two-tip lady who loves to help make your life more simple. Have you ever watched kids at a playground? Whizzing down the slippery dips, swinging on the ropes, hooping and hollering while having fun? Have you ever felt just a bit jealous? Well, the other day, dear husband simply couldn't resist the urge to swing on the ropes and zoom down the slippery dip, hollering as he went. We often both wonder what it's going to be like when we really grow up. Is it when you're an esteemed science teacher? Is it when your hair's going grey? Is it when your eyesight's not so good? Is it when your knee hurts but you don't whinge about it? Is it when your kids are paddling their own canoes off in their own oceans? Is it when you have ten grandkids? I don't know. I guess we'll know the answer one day, but meanwhile, we're going to keep acting like kids. Well, at least sometimes. So my two tips today are really simple. Here's the first. Do something fun today. Something you're going to feel a bit silly doing. Why? Because in Proverbs 17.22, we're told that a cheerful heart is good medicine. And most medicine has side effects you don't really want to think about. But this is all good medicine, so take it. Ready for tip number two? Here it is. Do something for someone else today. That would be marvellous complimentary medicine and you'll feel so good. You'll want to put these two tips into practice every single day. What are they? Tip number one, do something fun today. Tip number two, do something for someone else today. Simple tips? Yes. But feeling good after you've done them is simply guaranteed. That's it from the two-tip lady who loves to make your life more simple. This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.